This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in Late Kick is Live. It is Sunday night, June 12th, the year of our Lord, 2022, with great expectations. Hopefully, comes a great show. We're going to talk a lot about expectations, reasonable expectations tonight. We are jam-packed. Hayatape soon to be baking downtown Nashville, Tennessee. What are the most reasonable expectations for your team? We're going to start, I think, a new series tonight, if it does well, and we're going to hit five teams, not necessarily the best case, not necessarily the disaster scenario, but what's the most reasonable thing? And we're going to err on the side of glass half full, so we're going to have some aggressive win totals for five teams tonight. We're going to talk underrated quarterbacks, not necessarily the Bryce Youngs and CJ Strouds of the world. we got plenty of time to talk about them. Some names that mm, you may or may not know, but you need to know. And I can guarantee you a couple of them you haven't heard much about. The best position rooms in America, the deepest, most talented position rooms. We're going to hit four, five, six of those as time allows on a show where we have no time limit. And also, chapter 16 of Bold Predictions tonight. All that, plus the satanic ritual that is the fall wedding. We sadly have some more commentary to be had because your boy has been invited to another fall wedding. And these people didn't even do it via mail. They hit me in person, thinking that that would peer pressure me into something that it did not peer pressure me into. We'll do that on the back end of the show. They're watching us in Hennessy, Oklahoma, New York City. They're watching us, believe it or not, in Belgrade, Serbia. Big late kick contingent there in Serbia. And they're watching us in Fort Benning, Georgia, which is next door to Columbus, Georgia. 97,470. That's how many people are subscribed to the YouTube channel right now. That's how close we are to 100K. We've been gaining, not exponentially, but pretty close to that over the past few weeks. Keep it going. Keep it going. Got to get to 100K. I want to do that well before media days, well before that. So Director Colin wants that 100K plaque that YouTube sends us. And I want to get there just to see what the surprise from management is. So thank you so much. Everything else around here costs an arm and a leg these days. Late kick, still free. And we'll keep it that way as long as the traffic continues to come. As I said, I'm going to wait to the end of the show, but I am going to address this this fall wedding situation uh, for lack of much more poignant and useful terms. But in the meantime, let's talk about some expectations. What's reasonable? There's some major programs out there with some big time expectations. Preview magazine season is upon us. So a lot of folks are gonna say a lot of very bold things, but I wanna know what's reasonable. And so tonight I'm gonna go down the list. We're gonna start with Texas A&M and I'm gonna throw some teams out there. And before I tell you what I think about them, I want you to just shout right back at me whether you're driving around on a Tuesday morning listening to the podcast or whether you're watching live, what do you think is reasonable to expect? What should these fan bases feel confident in expecting? Texas A&M, what do you think we should expect from the Aggies this year? 2021, last year, you saw they had some ups, they had some downs, they lost a quarterback, they beat Alabama, and so they were 8-4 and four last year. The bowl game got canceled on them. They're over-under win total. And this is kind of where I want to start and pivot off of all these teams. The over-under is eight and a half. 
and it's heavily juiced to the over. So we may even see that thing hit nine before the season kicks off. So with that in mind, what do you think a reasonable expectation is in terms of wins and losses for a Texas A&M fan? You know where I went? I went 10 and two. I went a game and a half above the over under win total. Here's where my mind's at. There's this in-between vibe amongst most of the college football public, it seems, including Vegas, with Texas A&M. The in-between meaning everyone's on fire right now about what they're doing in terms of recruiting and NIL, and we got a bunch of talent that's on campus, but I don't know if anyone stopped to look around. A lot of talent's been on campus. Over the past four recruiting cycles, you know what their average class finish has been? 4.75. They've averaged a top five finish. They're loaded. If we were to look at this roster and Nick Saban were the coach, if we looked at that roster and Kirby Smart was the coach, no one would sit around saying, let's just get us nine wins this year. No, rightfully so. The expectation would be that team right there with a roster that loaded, four consecutive classes inside the top eight, they need to be competing for the SEC championship. Why should I think any differently about Texas A&M? Just because it's become this going narrative that they're one year away, Jimbo Fisher's been there five years. It's his fifth year now. They've recruited at a top elite level. Why wouldn't I expect them to be in contention? Just because someone said they shouldn't be? I don't think so. I mean, we're talking about Max Johnson and Haynes King at quarterback. We just brought in the number one receiver in the country. We brought in like 70 of the top defensive linemen in the country out there. They've got everything they need and then some to compete. You know what has to happen? The staff out there has to get it done. People have to execute. You've got to beat some really good teams. You're looking at their schedule right now if you're watching on YouTube. The way I see it is they play Alabama. That's a tier one game. Playing at Alabama is a tier one game. I would not expect any team in America to win the game. It's not impossible. I don't expect it. But outside of that, when you talk about their tier two games, you can look at Miami coming in there. You can look at Florida, LSU. All of those teams have new staffs. The, t the game against Arkansas is in Dallas. Those tier two games are very winnable. They get Florida at home late in the year. They get Ole Miss at home later in the year. So yeah, 10 and two, I think is more than reasonable for you to expect as a Texas A&M fan. And if you finish below that, see, there's this real interesting world here where you could finish below 10 wins, but you could hit the over eight and a half and land at nine. And I really don't think much of anyone would be happy in that particular point. But the good news is this is not a make or break year. They still have several years they're building towards in the future. I just don't think we should have to wait for 2023 for Texas A&M to compete for this thing. That's all I'm saying. Next up, let's go all the way across the country to the West Coast. The Oregon Ducks finished 22nd last year, 10 and four, as you well know by now, Mario Cristobal out the door, Dan Lanning, defensive coordinator at Georgia. He heads out West. When you dive into their schedule, it's a lot tougher than it seems. They're over under win totals nine. Okay, so I want to preface everything I'm about to say with that. And it's pretty evenly juiced. Minus 115 either way if you're looking at Caesars right now. Uh, they're plus 300 to win the Pac-12. They're plus 6,000 to win the national championship. But I'm going to go back to what we should expect reasonably in terms of a win-loss. I put Oregon at nine and three. I think it's reasonable to expect nine and three. And you may think, oh boy, Oregon, you know, they've got a pretty loaded roster. They've got Bo Nix coming in there via the transfer market. So they're not a huge question mark at quarterback. Mario left behind a really, really good stable of talent. Don't you expect them to be better than that? Well, it's all relative. You are 
you are not always what your record says you are in this sport because of, as we often talk about, the dichotomy, the vast gulf between strengths of schedules. And the fact is, Oregon has a sneaky tough schedule. I know a lot of people laugh at that in the South. I'm just saying, if you look right now, if you're watching on YouTube, you see it. They open against Georgia. They're over a two-touchdown underdog there. But that's not this thing where they start tough and then it greatly eases up the rest of the way. They won't play another Georgia in the regular season. I'll grant you that. But look who they play in week three. First off, let me state Eastern Washington in week two is one of the tougher FCS teams you can play. But I think most of us expect them to win the game. They got Brigham Young coming in there in week three. We're going to talk about BYU a little bit later on. Ooh, there it went. There went that Y there. We're going to talk about Brigham Young a little bit later on. In fact, we're going to talk about two teams back to back here. Brigham Young and Washington State that have two of the most underrated quarterbacks in America. And the reason I'm bringing up the quarterback position is because one of the great areas of at least concern, if you don't want to call it a weakness, is secondary. Uh, they got some guys coming in there into Oregon via the transfer market that have to pan out. And as you see, they're playing Georgia, Brigham Young, and Washington State, three of the first four games of the season. Georgia's got the most loaded wide receiver stable I think they've had in quite a while. It's going to be tough. That's going to be sort of a baptism by fire for that Oregon secondary early on. And so I keep going down that list. They get UCLA at home. Uh, they get Utah at home. But new staff, new quarterback, a lot of expectation there. People do not expect things to drop off in terms of production standpoint, even if they do have Dan Lanning. And look, I'm optimistic they're going to be a good team this year. That is how much I think their schedule is a challenge. So I went 9-3. and three. And if you wanted to argue with me that a more reasonable expectation would be eight and four, I don't think I'd push back all that hard. Uh, there is, of course, a path where they exceed all of this. We're talking about reasonable, not best case. We're talking about reasonable. I think nine and three is a slightly aggressive, reasonable expectation for Oregon. Now let's head to the SEC. Let's stay in the state that I sit in right now. It was a bad day on the diamond, but let's look ahead to the gridiron this fall. Tennessee. Coming off a 7-6 and six year, eh, depending on how you want to count that bowl game against uh, Purdue. 7-6, and six. yes, we have to statistically count it as a loss. I broke Tennessee's schedule down into three tiers. They're over-under win total, 7.5 coming into the year. So they won 7 last year. Vegas has their over-under 7.5 juiced towards the over. So probably a little bit heavier action on the over right now. I got them with two games in Tier 1. They play Alabama and Georgia. They play them every year. One of the only teams to play both of them every year. Those are tier one games. It's not reasonable to expect them to win. It's hopeful, but it's not reasonable. So let's call those games 0-2 to be reasonable. And then let's move on to tier two, because tier two is where they have to make some noise in order to hit what I think is reasonable for Tennessee. And that's a 9-3 record this year. And if Tennessee's going to be 9-3 this year, when we look at games at Pitt, Florida at home, at LSU, Kentucky at home, and at South Carolina, I need them to be 4-1 there. If they don't upset Georgia or Bama, I need them to be 4-1 out of those games. Pitt, Florida, LSU, Kentucky, and South Carolina, and then they need to sweep Tier 3. Can't be getting upset by Missouri, can't go to Vanderbilt and lay an egg, so got to be perfect there. If they drop both of those Tier 1 games, but they can go 4-1, which I think they're very capable of, in Tier 2, that's a 9-3 record. Now, is that a little aggressive? I think it is a little aggressive. I told you at the outset, I'm going to be a little aggressive with this, but we will not have to wait too long. 
This is not Michigan's schedule. Michigan hardly plays anyone with a pulse the first month of the season, so we're going to wait a little while before we get to see uh, the real Michigan this year. With Tennessee, they go to Pitt. ACC champs a year ago, they go to Pitt in week two. Pitt beat them last year in Knoxville. They go to Pittsburgh in week two. Then they've got Florida coming in there in week four at home. Think about how different September could be. It's kind of got a, a Penn State 2021 vibe. They have so many hinge games in the first weeks of the season. We're going to know a whole lot about, obviously, whether this is realistic or more idealistic. They play at Pitt and they play Florida, and that's before we get to October. There's no reason why Tennessee should start slow this year. They return a quarterback that was a 34-3 touchdown to INT guy last year. There's a lot of continuity here. There's a lot of last year carryover into this year. I expect that there will be some folks who look at nine wins and say, mm, still think you're a year away. I don't think it's the most aggressive, reasonable expectation in the world to call nine and three on Tennessee. Let's go down south to Miami. We were going to do Florida State here, but I'm talking about FSU a little bit later on. So let's talk Miami here. I was on a seesaw for like an hour. I spent an inordinate amount of time on my Miami reasonable expectation earlier today because I was on eight and four for a little while. And I'll tell you where I wound up. So they were sitting as of airtime at eight and a half over under preseason win total. So that's pretty aggressive. They got a new coaching staff in there. Mario Cristobal's in, out with Manny Diaz. You know all that. So here we go. I was on eight and four. I ended up bumping my reasonable expectation from Miami up to nine and three. They do not have a ton of game breakers at receiver. That's a negative. They've got guys they think they can depend on, but they don't have game breakers there. But here's the positive as we start to look at their schedule. They've got, I think, a dependable commodity in Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback. Could be great, but at the very least, I'm going to call him dependable. Good decisions last year. Didn't throw the ball to the other team a whole lot. Didn't turn it over a whole lot. But they also have a very dependable, I think, stable of running backs. They return, I think, three along the offensive line. They feel good about where they're going to be on the offensive line. They brought in a head coach who specializes on the offensive line. They have got dynamite special teams coming back. So my point is, I just built you several pillars of this team, offense and special teams at least, that I think can be dependable. Those have carryover effect. Those are there week after week. And the reason why I mentioned the wide receiver position at the front of that as being something that lacks game breakers is when you look at their schedule, they don't even look at the game at AM. If you want to chalk that one up as a loss, go ahead. That's fine. Uh, it's going to be a single digit point spread. It's already out. But let's, if you want to chalk that one up as a loss, that's fine. But North Carolina at Virginia Tech, at Virginia, Florida State, at Clemson, Pitt, those just scream to me multiple one possession games in here. So if you can give me dependability at quarterback and good decision making, a solid run game, solid offensive line, good special teams play, it's enough to tilt me the other way. And I'm not telling, not telling you they're going undefeated. I'm giving them a cushion to have three losses. But I think they can, I think they can navigate that schedule at a 9-3 and three clip. And then we start to see how the on-field product impacts the off-the-field recruiting product. But 9-3, and three, that's where I landed with Miami. And last but not least for tonight is Michigan. I was on 9-3 and three a long time with Michigan, too. Guess I seesawed on this one. I'll tell you what changed in a second. Uh, famously, they went to the playoff last year. They beat Ohio State. They won the Big Ten. Uh, they went to the playoff and... Then we had all the off-field stuff with Jim Harbaugh. He's back, got two new coordinators. So that's essentially what you missed if you've been tuned out over the last five or six months. Over-under preseason win total, 
for Michigan is nine and a half, evenly juiced. That's a, that's a very high number, very high number. They're coming off doing a lot of things they had not done under Jim Harbaugh. Uh, that factors into this equation. But at the same time, I think about it, and I always think about follow-up performances. And I just, I so often, maybe it's, the, maybe it's a, a negative way to look at things, but I so often have recollection of folks who did not follow up with a sophomore performance, if you will, off of uh, a historic performance the year before, and history's just littered with them. And so my natural tendency, when you see two coordinators leave and a, a, not quite generational, but a really, really good pass rusher leave, is to just think you're going to take a step back. I think that's human nature, to think that that's going to happen. And then you had Harbaugh try and get out to the NFL and come back. And whether folks around the program expect that to be a factor or not, it's at least there in your mind. Well, I've talked to some Michigan buddies. Uh, and I'm not talking about ill-informed people either, people who have a really good pulse and read of the program. And, you know, the more I talk to them, they made this point. They look at the Ohio State game at the end of the year, and they say, I, listen, we're always going to have hope that we can beat Ohio State, but if the outside world wants to assume we're going to lose that game, fine. Assume it. There's one loss already. Their quote, pretty much, to me has been, even if we're going to lose to Ohio State, we have no business coming into Columbus, Ohio at nine and two or worse. So what they're saying is, look, it, I, I'm going to call us 10 and two, and, and that's going to be what I give Michigan here. I think 10 and two is a reasonable expectation. They may lose to Ohio State. And for all I know, they're going to drop it by 50, or maybe they beat them. But my point is, even if they lose that game, is it reasonable to expect them to lose two other games before that? I don't think so. I, I'm just, I'm looking around the schedule. The first month of the season, they'll be heavily favored. But then they go to Iowa and to Indiana. I know it's not the easiest place to play at, on the road at Kinnick Stadium. They're better than Iowa. They should beat Iowa. Uh, they're better than Penn State at home. They should beat Penn State at home. Not by 50, but they should beat Penn State at home. Ditto with Michigan State. There's a lot of should that's happening, you know, on paper. I understand where the football games are actually played. But... Michigan's roster is such that they can afford to lose an impact player or two. When I look at guys returning like Corum or Donovan Edwards, really good stable of running backs. Both quarterbacks return. Ronnie Bell's back from injury at wide receiver, and they've got a pretty good stable of receivers there. Certainly when you look at the overall athleticism in the receiver room, it's continued to upgrade. It's not where Ohio State's is. Newsflash, no one's room is where Ohio State's is. But even if we're not going to compare them to the Buckeyes elsewhere in the Big Ten, that's what I'm talking about, where are the two other losses? I see losable games, but I think it's reasonable to expect them to be able to navigate the rest of that schedule with no more than one regular season loss. So I'm going 10 and 2 with Michigan. Those are reasonable, in my mind, expectations for this year. Uh, we're going to do several more teams because I kind of like the way that went. So we'll do several more teams, but in the meantime, what did I give you? I gave you A&M, Oregon, Tennessee, Miami, Michigan. Feel free in the comment section to give me reasonable, it's key word there, reasonable expectations in your mind for those teams. Just pretend you're running a sports book. What would you set the number at, I guess? It is going to be roughly as hot as the surface of the sun in Nashville this week. Uh, a good old-fashioned heat dome. A high-pressure ridge that is, it's, it's tough to deal with. And so... Academy Sports and Outdoors, of course, is where you can go for all your sporting goods gear, but 
I think, especially in our portion of the country this week, coolers going to fly off the shelves. Bikes, anytime you can move outside and get the wind to be a factor to stay cool, do it. Canopies, block that evil sun entirely. Tents, we have three mini tents. Well, two. We had to send one back. We got the mini tents right out there in the newsroom. Uh, tank tops, shorts, flip-flops. They have all these things for you at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And occasionally, I may refer to those as creature comforts, you know, wants. This week, you need a lot of that. Let's be real. If you live in the southeastern portion of the country, I know it's well into the triple digits out in the desert southwest too, uh, but we've got a wet heat coming at us this week as opposed to the dry heat out west. And the wet heat will dehydrate you in about eight minutes if you're not careful. So replenish yourself in terms of fluid and electrolytes, but also replenish yourself in terms of needs, especially in this tropical climate of ours. And you can do it at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And since this hot weather's not going anywhere, you don't necessarily have to rush off to a brick and mortar location tomorrow if you don't have one in your neighborhood or you're just too lazy to leave the house or maybe too smart to leave the house. Academy.com is the place for you. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, bold predictions is a runaway success. Bold predictions has become safely one of the most popular segments we've ever done. Here's how you know. We're on version 16 of it tonight. So let's roll right into it. Bold predictions, chapter 16, the things that you claim you would bet your own money on when it comes to college football 2022. Let's start in Tuscaloosa, shall we? Chris said Alabama will lose two games in the regular season. And then here's the cherry on top. Neither will be against Texas A&M. I'm not even reading the last part because we have jerks in the control room that added that. Uh, how's this going to happen? So two and a half. Well, two, two losses. Neither are to Texas A&M. Removing A&M changed a lot there. So I'm going to call this an eight and a half. And I would make it even more bold than that on the one to ten boldness scale. But then you look at Alabama's road schedule and you realize, whew, they play at Texas. They play at Arkansas at Tennessee, at LSU, and at Ole Miss. Luckily, they don't have to play themselves. That's the only team that can say that in the SEC West. That is, that is a stretch, by the way. One, two, three, four, five teams, all of whom have a regular season over-under win total of seven or more. That is a tough road schedule. That's really tough. And they get A&M at home, but Chris said they're not going to lose to A&M, so I've got to assume they're losing two games to Texas, Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, or Ole Miss. Alabama's going to be really good this year, but that is possible. I mean, if there's any road schedule, I guess, that's going to do that to an elite team, it would be the one they're playing. Even having said that, though, 
when you got the pass rush they're going to have, when you got the secondary they're going to have, their secondary going to be overshadowed by that linebacker room. That secondary is going to be as good as Saban's had in a few years. Oh, by the way, you got returning Heisman Trophy winner, and you have what they can do offensively. Jameer Gibbs just, just casually joins the team. They're going to be really good. So it's going to be hard to knock them off, especially twice, if A&M's not one of them. I gave that an eight and a half. And now we're going to go even bolder than that because we're headed down to Tallahassee, Florida, where we have the following prediction. PJ said, Florida State is this year's Baylor. They're going to win the ACC from Gainesville, Georgia. Home of, I believe, the Gainesville Red Elephants. Deshaun Watson played there. Blake Sims played there. Uh, they came and just drug Harris County in the playoffs one year. Anyway, back to college football. Uh, this is a nine. Uh, Florida State's not winning the ACC this year. I am not trying to disparage the good name of the Florida State Seminoles. I believe they're one year away from being able to make these kinds of bold proclamations and put money on them. If I look at their schedule, which I'll go over in a second, I'll tell you why, but there's still too many holes here. Last year, to remind you where they were and how anemic they were through the air, last year they did not have a single game where they threw for 300 or more yards, and they were below 200 yards passing in seven games. And they, I think they were a five-win team last year. So we're asking them to make a pretty monumental leap here. Uh, they do have LSU in the out-of-conference. They go to NC State. They have to play Clemson, obviously. They go to Miami. They've got Florida at the end of the year. So they're drawing LSU and Florida in non-conference play on top of having to play Clemson, having to go to NC State. They go Wake, NC State, and Clemson back-to-back-to-back mind you. So if you're trying to find nine wins here, by default, they're going to have to be several upsets. They've got four consecutive losing season. They return a lot from last year, but that comes back to that age old, is it good to return a huge chunk of a five-win team thing? I'm somewhere in the middle on that because I, I, I do think what they're doing down there is working. It's just not an immediate Nick Saban year one to year two turnaround they're on the right track. It's just, that's why I believe in the eight-win number this year. Like I've said for the past few shows, if you go over to Knowles 24-7, you go to the message board there, the reasonable expectation, you know, around Florida State is, can we win eight games this year? Because you could sell me on 2023. You could sell me on get a nice eight-win season this year, go to a nice bowl game, lock down a recruiting class that's hopefully closer to the 8 to 12 range than it is the 18 to 22 range, and then let's do something in 2023. Maybe Duffy's another year long at quarterback. Let's do something in 2023. This year, though, no. This year, Florida State winning the ACC is a 9, maybe a tick or two higher than just a 9. Let's go to the Pac-12. I think we had a version of this one but Simon Gibbs gave it to us like this. He cracked his knuckles. He cleared his throat. He said, Utah is either going to be undefeated or 12-1, and one, and they're going to crash the college football playoff. Now, Utah has not had a regular season with two or fewer losses since they've been in the Pac-12. It's been several years now. But they've been a very, very dependable program. Very steady program, one of the most veteran coaching staffs in America. Eighth best odds to make the college football playoff right now. Actually, Jesse, was it to make the playoff or was it to win the title? They have the eighth best odds to do something. E either way, they have the eighth best odds to do something really good. To win the national championship. Okay, so to win the national championship, Utah has the eighth best odds. And there's like a, a five-way tie at eighth. Let's talk about their schedule. They open at Florida. 
That's a road game. They open at you, or they don't open at, they play UCLA on the road. They play Oregon on the road. And they've got USC at home. So their four toughest games, three of them are on the road. This is not an easy schedule. I keep going back to these Pac-12 schedules, especially this year, when you got Utah going to Gainesville to open the season. When you got Oregon going to Atlanta against Georgia to open the season. These are not easy schedules. You may not respect the Pac-12. These are not easy schedules. So to call them 12-1 and or undefeated is lofty. I'm calling this an 8 on the boldness scale. If you, if you would have just told me they're going to win the Pac-12, it would not be nearly as bold. They are a co-favorite right now to win the Pac-12 with USC and, and Oregon's right behind them. But to go 12-1 and or undefeated and make the playoff, that gets a little more bold. So I'm going to call that one an 8. Now let's get really close and near and dear to producer Jesse's heart. Penn State. I thought this was, I thought this was well put. Penn State returns to 10-plus win status. Sean Clifford is a big reason why. From State College, PA. You know what? That is reasonable. It's reasonable. I'm going to call it a 6 on the boldness scale. Uh, only because I think there are going to be a lot of really, really close one-possession hinge-type games. Classic Penn State. Uh, but this is very, very doable. Because I believe they were a 10-win team last year, masquerading as a 7-win team because their quarterback went down. If their quarterback does not go down at Iowa... I understand it's part of the game, but if he doesn't go down, I thought they were on their way to a 9 or 10 win season with Sean Clifford. So Sean Clifford is back. Um, I roughly graduated the same year as I did from high school, but he is still playing college football. So he's back. The first three weeks of their schedule seem very familiar. If you're a Penn State fan, it should seem very familiar because you were kind of in this position last year, weren't you? Remember how the entire summer... We talked about how important that game at Wisconsin was. And you guys went up there and got beat everywhere but the scoreboard. Bot score told one story. Scoreboard told another story. Who cares? You got it done. Then you came home. You had that big SEC out-of-conference matchup with Auburn. Whiteout. We were there. And they won that one. And immediately, you had two either-way games under your belt. And you were off to the races, but then the injury derails a lot of things. Well, this year, they open at Purdue. That's a Thursday night game. The line at last check was three in favor of Penn State. So very, very back and forth. Could go either way there. And then they go to Auburn. Penn State goes to Lee County, Alabama in week three this year. Those could go either way too. I'm, gonna, I'm going to overlook Ohio. Shame on me. If I come back to regret it, I will. But those are two games that we can look at. And you could easily sell me on either of them going either way. And think about the difference, obviously, in starting 3-0 versus starting 1-2, and and you've still got games at Michigan against Ohio State, Michigan State. Yeah. Uh, having said that, though, I do generally believe in this team. They're over-unders at 8.5. Uh, but if you could promise me health, if anyone out there is able to do that, I would love to hear that. If you could promise me health, and by the way, if you could promise me that their run game is even going to be decent this year, I would be able to buy this. They did not have an individual rush for 100 yards in a football game last year. Please fix it. Please, if nothing else, fix that. Keep my quarterback healthy. Get me someone to run it for 115 or 120 a Saturday this fall. If it's, you know, if it's got to be Nick Singleton, true freshman, then it's got to be Nick Singleton. I'm big on him anyway. But if we can get some kind of decent run game up there, uh, which falls partly on that stable of running backs and largely on that offensive line, if we can get that fixed, yeah, 10 wins is doable. Man, they had a string there from 16 to 19 where they 11, 11, 9, 11. 
and then we have a COVID four win season and we got seven and six last year. Are we bouncing back or have we resettled into the seven to eight win range? I refuse to believe the latter is true. So I'm going to say this is a six. I'm going to say it's doable. Uh, last but not least, but this one is very bold, possibly the most bold prediction on tonight's show. Sean said a defensive player is going to make it to New York Heisman Trophy finalist, not named Will Anderson. This is a 9.5 on the boldness scale. I do not believe this is going to happen. If it's not Will Anderson, but a defensive player does make it, it could very well be his teammate, Dallas Turner. But I wanted to go off the grid a little bit. I got chastised for this today, but you know, at, at some point, about once or twice a month, producer Jesse starts mouthing off to me, and I point to the logo, and I say, whose name's on that logo? And he has to shut up. That's like my finishing move on him. Will McDonald at Iowa State is someone that if you told me a defensive player not named Will Anderson is going to make it to New York, not win it, make it to New York, I could buy. Uh, Jesse would tell you his stats aren't good enough. Well, I'm not predicting him to win it retroactively. I am saying that there is a world where Will McDonald blows up this year. Very good player for Iowa State. They probably have to shoulder a little bit of the load and have enough wins for him to matter. I get that. But Will McDonald, really, really good player for the Cyclones. Uh, do I have bias there? Of course I do. I openly root for Iowa State. I think it's also fitting that his last name represents a restaurant with the same color scheme as the team he plays for. And that's the kind of stats and information not even producer Jesse could deliver. I realize that myself. Observational skills. But let's be real now. It's going to be tough, even for Will McDonald. So I think Will Anderson, uh, because of the highway robbery that was committed against him last year, stands a chance of the sympathy vote. And then you're also going to watch him play and you're going to realize this guy doesn't need my sympathy. He is a maniac and he's going to play on a team with the best pass rush in America. So there's no way to double him unless you just want to take Dallas Turner, who looks like he grew up on Jupiter. Doesn't look like he really came from the same planet we do. If you want to turn him loose, be my guest. Point being, Will Anderson by 10 miles has got the best shot as a defensive player this year. But if it's not him, I don't think it'll be anybody. But if it is somebody, Will McDonald, Dallas Turner, we'll see. Some bold projections and predictions tonight, though. Very well done. Uh, Long Bay Beach in Turks and Caicos, a place that we have not taken the show yet, but I want to one day, hopefully in the very near future. Hashtag management. Uh, they're watching us tonight in Long Beach Bay, Long Bay Beach. Walland, Tennessee is tuned in. Look at the look at the disrespect. Just the index finger holding up the post-it. And Ogden, Utah, where they filmed some scenes from Dumb and Dumber, I'm told. They're tuned in as well. Underrated quarterbacks is next up. I think we had a question about it. And I'm glad because I was already I was already planning on doing a segment about this. So let me let me tee up the question. So let me give credit where it's due. John said, we all know about C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. Who are some underrated quarterbacks that you think we should keep an eye on? I'm listening from Salt Lake City, Utah. Back-to-back -back Salt Lake City and Ogden, Utah. Very much in the house tonight. We talked about the Utes, so good for us and good for you. Aiden O'Connell to shift entirely east. West Lafayette, Indiana, to be exact. Aiden O'Connell at Purdue. Uh, he's been there forever, but he does not get a lot of national run. But what if I told you, blind resume time, I got a guy who threw, well, he was on a team. He missed one game last year. His team threw for 355.4 yards per game. Uh, he had two-plus touchdowns in eight games last year, including the last six of the season. He's a 71.6% completion percentage guy last year. You would say, 
who is that? Is that, is that, is that that's not Bryce Young, is it? No. But you would start to whisper, is it one of those elite names I hear all the time? No, man, it's Aiden O'Connell at Purdue. These people think they're going to win the Big Ten West this year, in large part due to Aiden O'Connell. You know, that's why that game against Penn State in week one is so important. They were tied with, like everyone, for second in the division last year. But imagine if they beat Penn State. It's a three-point spread, guys. It's not, it's not insurmountable. If they beat Penn State in week one, it, number one, it'll be due to him. And then Aiden O'Connell will have this spotlight win, and, and they'll be off to the races there because the rest of their schedule is very, very workable. And all of a sudden, you'll be tuning into Purdue. Those of you who played the fantasy college football game, you'll be fighting over broken glass to try and get Aiden O'Connell. Uh, that's a guy who should already be a household name. He is to folks like us, man. The, like the diehard crowd's not hearing any breaking news here. But not casuals, but the college, co casual college football crowd probably doesn't know him as much as they should. I think you will this year. Jaron Hall is another name that I want you to know about. He's a little bit older now. He's at Brigham Young. He's already done his mission. I think he's a double red shirt guy. So he's like in his 23, 24 year range. I mean, he's going to be a 25 year old guy by the time he gets to the NFL. He is excellent at extending plays. Everyone's drunk on that now. Always should have been, but everyone's drunk on that now. You watch Pat Mahomes and you want someone who can do what he does. I'm not comparing the two, mind you. I'm just saying that characteristic is there. He's a very good thrower on the run. Doesn't just chuck it up. Doesn't just run around and gain you three yards, running 90 yards to do it. He's got plus arm strength, not elite arm strength, but he's got the lowest career interception percentage in Brigham Young history. Even lower than Zach Wilson. So that's always a positive. Um, he's a leader, good decision maker. They all talk glowingly about him. But here's the thing you need to know about Jaron Hall. When you look at Brigham Young's schedule this year, they're going to be in the national spotlight so frequently. They play Baylor. They play at Oregon. They play Notre Dame in Las Vegas. And did you know Arkansas goes to Brigham Young this year? You know my thoughts on the scheduling process at Arkansas. Far be it for me to tell them how to run their athletic department, but my goodness, yes. So with that in mind, Mr. Hall is going to be on the national radar a lot this year. I think he stands a good chance of shining, and therefore don't get caught being the last person to know about Jaron Hall. Phil Dracovic at Boston College was good last year, and then he got hurt, and then Boston College's hopes and dreams went down the drain with that, and they kind of disappeared off any kind of regional or national radar once he got hurt. He, unlike some of these other guys, he's not one of those 6'1", 200 kind of guys. He's big. He's like Ben Roethlisberger, kind of 6'5", 215. And he's compared a lot to Roethlisberger because he can run the ball a little bit. Burly, lumbering, these are adjectives that are used to describe his game. Uh, eight rushing touchdowns past two seasons. The thing that's keeping more people from talking about him and his team this upcoming year is offensive line and defensive line are a big question at Boston College. But I think it lends well to this particular segment because with Dracovic back and him being a senior, it's his contract year for all intents and purposes. He's got his wide receiver stable back. So if nothing else, they'll throw the ball a lot up there. Third season under Halfley, they need to get some traction this year. I think they'll do it this year. And I think he'll obviously be a big reason why. So he's not, he's not a new name. He's been there for a long time, but I think he's an underrated name. And last but not least, this is one that hardly anyone knows about yet. 
You really got to be following the transfer portal close to know about Cameron Ward. But that was a guy who was running the triple option in high school. We talked about him, I think, last week. Ran the triple option in high school, had one offer out of high school, took it. He goes to Incarnate Word, and um, I think he was... So he won the Jerry Rice Award, which is the top freshman of the year. Was offensive player in the conference, offensive player of the year last year. And so he goes to Washington State. Now, he put up big numbers at Incarnate Word. 11 games of 300-plus passing yards last year, had four-plus passing touchdowns in eight games. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that's FCS competition. Now he's going to play Power 5 competition. Fine, fine, think that. What I'm saying is he was the buzz name in the offseason. He was the buzz name. He was the guy that a lot of folks kept whispering about to us. He was the one where everyone else wanted to talk about Caleb Williams, but everyone knows Caleb Williams. Everyone knows Spencer Rattler. They kept saying, hey, the kid that just came out of Incarnate Word, you may not know how to find that school on a map, but you need to pay attention to him. Because his head coach there, Eric Morris, for those of you interested, went to Washington State as the offensive coordinator. So you get the head coach and play caller from that school. You get the quarterback from that school. They obviously had something clicking there. And now they go to Washington State, which is just one of a number of reasons why when you look at the Pac-12 schedule, you don't fear Washington State, but you don't have a clue about Washington State. And you could look and you could see you just had a thousand mile road trip and then, oh, I gotta go to Pullman, Washington this week. And you have no clue what you're facing at quarterback. It could be that Cam Ward peaked at the FCS level. That could be the case. Or it could be he's Trey Lance and ends up being a first round NFL draft pick and you're listening to story after story about how this this once overlooked player from Incarnate Word went to Washington State and lit it up. Wouldn't be the first time someone did that there. And all of a sudden, he's a household name. Everyone can say that after the fact. My point is, he could be that and no one knows it yet. And you got teams going in there totally unprepared to face that kind of talent. At the very least, he's a guy to watch. So Aiden O'Connell, Jaron Hall, Phil Dracovic, Cam Ward, those are four underrated quarterbacks. Good pace right here. I wonder... Um, as I say hey to the live chat, I wonder what the over-under is for the show tonight. Do you ever think about that? I, I may not have told you guys this on the air. Director Colin and producer Jesse have a number they set. I don't know it. They set an over-under, and they have to work the over-under. It's like Price is Right. They have to work the over-under to a number to where one's willing to take over, total runtime for the show, and one takes the under. I don't know who takes what. I don't know what the number is. But boy, I hope you took the over tonight. Whichever one of you took the over, you're cashing tonight. Because we went 38 minutes on the Thursday show, and it's like I violated the birthright of the audience. I've never seen so many comments complain about the length of a show. And the thing about it is that used to be the average length of a Late Kick Live episode, but lately we've been going an hour because there's so much to talk about. So 38 minutes seems so out of place. Look, you don't have to tell me twice, even though you told me like a thousand times. Um... It's 7.41 right now, and I still got a couple things left to talk about. So you're welcome. I'm happy to talk as long as you're uh, happy to listen. There are some questions about position groupings. And so I just picked one. I could have picked a, one out of a million here. Miguel said, what are the teams you see with the deepest position groups? Checking in from Corpus Christi, Texas. Bet they know Selena down there. Had an argument about Selena this week. I bet I can quote more of that movie than anyone in Corpus Christi. I'm just going to put it out there. All right, let's talk about Clemson's defensive line. This is not a new headline, Clemson having a deep defensive line. But see, they struggled, quote-unquote, last year 
And anyone buying into them being back and being a national championship contender this year believes that in part because this may be the best defensive line in football. Obviously, I think it is the best defensive line in football. They got Brian Brzee back from injury. Uh, they got Miles Murphy. Those are two first-round, surefire first-round guys if they're healthy. Tyler Davis is there. He's a senior. Xavier Thomas is in that mix. Here's how deep they are. I saw Brad Crawford write this the other day. They're so deep that K.J. Henry, who is not a bust, he is a fifth-year former five-star player. He's a rotational guy here. Again, I want to stress, he's not a bust. They're just so deep. That's the quality of player that they rotate. So Clemson, you know, when they've won those titles, one of the hallmarks has always been defensive line. It gets overshadowed sometimes because they happen to have names like Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence. Defensive line was what was getting it done for them. If they do it this year, it'll be because a defensive line got it done for them. In Tuscaloosa, the linebacker room in Alabama is about as disgusting as it gets. I think they have the two best linebackers in college football. They got Will Anderson and they got Dallas Turner. I know everyone agrees on Anderson. I think by season's end, you're going to look at 15 there and think he's right there with Will Anderson. Uh, they are two phenomenal players. Chris Braswell, a former five-star guy, is third on this list and would be a premier pass rusher on any other team. That's just how deep they are. But I didn't say edge rusher. I said linebacker room, period. Henry Toa Toa decided to return this year. But also Jalen Moody is still there. And then I want you to just look at the list. And if you're listening on podcast, let me read you some of these names. Deontay Lawson is just there. Kendrick Blackshear, who's one of the most impressive physical specimens you'll see in person. He's got calves roughly the size of this laptop screen. He's there. Demoy Kennedy is there. And then there's a name way down this list. Won't be down near the bottom for long. Jihad Campbell was a guy who rocketed up the recruiting rankings this past cycle, kind of like Will Anderson did. Remember, Will Anderson, if you follow recruiting, he just every 24-7 sports player ranking update in that cycle, he kept, he kept rocketing up and he ended up a top 10 player. Oh, by the way, there were some folks who claimed bias or homerism. You don't hear so much from those folks anymore. Jihad Campbell did that this last cycle. And Jihad Campbell ends up being a top 10 guy. When we talked to Nick Saban on that signing day show, uh, he said some things about Jihad Campbell before he had ever practiced in Tuscaloosa, like I've heard him very few times refer to a freshman as. So, yeah, uh, Jihad Campbell's just kind of there. That linebacker room's nasty. The offensive equivalent of this is the Ohio State wide receiver room. I want you to imagine this. I know so many of your programs out there are looking for a all-conference wide receiver, a all-American wide receiver, or un-all-American wide receiver. Um, Imagine watching Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams, really, if you want to count the transfer portal, all walk out the door in a year and still knowing you have by far the deepest wide receiver room in college football. Imagine watching all that talent leave and saying, it's okay because we've got Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's okay because we've got Julian Fleming, Emeka Egbuka. Remember those names? Marvin Harrison Jr. We just got those names still here. If they need extra money up there, I've listened to Ryan Day talk about how they need 13 some odd million dollars to keep the team together and in the NIL era, hey, sell tickets to practice because some of the best competition that you could see in this sport all year is happening in Columbus, Ohio on a random Tuesday in the wide receiver room and in that wide receiver position grouping. That is a collection of talent, the likes of which you will rarely see in this sport. Bama's had it recently with all those guys. 
and Ohio State's got it now. And outside of that, I don't think you see that anywhere. You can count any position group anywhere. That kind of collection of talent after losing who they just lost is amazing. Uh, let's kind of stay on the offensive side, but let's go specifically to tight end. The Georgia tight end room is nasty. It's loaded too. I don't think there's a close second here. I think Utah fans would have an argument, but I don't think it's particularly close. Let's go back a couple of recruiting cycles since we're talking about recruiting cycles of years past. Remember the year Darnell Washington and Eric Gilbert were coming out and how there was this, there was this widely held belief that they weren't going to play for the same school. That's, that's not rare. You hear that from time to time. Uh, premier players, they want to go be their own player. They, they want to go stand out somewhere, whatever. Well, that was, that was thought about those two. So Darnell Washington goes to Georgia. Eric Gilbert goes to LSU. And then he was at Florida for like five minutes, but then he ends up at Georgia. Anyway, my point is, imagine telling yourself two years ago, the top two players at that position, Darnell Washington and Eric Gilbert, are going to be playing on the same team a couple of years from now, and neither of them are going to be considered the best at their position because of a guy that at that point no one even knows exists named Brock Bowers is going to come in and outshine all of them. That's the status or the status, depending on where you reside from, that uh, Georgia's tight end room's in right now. You want to know about depth? How many of you know the name Oscar Delp? Georgia fans excluded. How many of the rest of you out there? If you're in Amarillo, Texas, have you ever heard of Oscar Delp? No? Uh, chances are he'd probably start for your program and be a very, very high-level contributor at tight end for your program. He's their fourth best tight end right now. And in time, he's going to be a really good one. I think he's really good now. It's just how deep they are. So Georgia's tight end room, yeah, the envy of the rest of the country. And last but not least, let's go to Texas. Because the running back room there, it's kind of a, it's kind of a different deal when you're talking running backs. If you've got Bijan Robinson, he kind of makes 80% of the argument. Uh, Bijan Robinson is a guy who most everyone considers the top running back in the country, or at the very least, number one, number two. I've got him number one, if that matters to you at all. But if you look past him, Rashawn Johnson is still there, averaged about six yards per carry last year. And a guy that I'm sky high on, uh, that really hasn't gotten to be a feature guy yet, but I think will once Bijan Robinson exits the premises, is Keelan Robinson. Transfer from Alabama uh, last year. I think Keelan Robinson is a really good player. So they go three deep there with really, really high-level guys. Those position groups, if, if you want to look past it, you can look at Jonathan Brooks. Those position groups, though, when you talk about conference championship races and when you talk about looking at over-under win totals and how this sport's played at the highest level, a lot of one-possession games, a lot of like back and forth, and, and you're trying to do the win-win-loss-win-loss. Win, loss. You're trying to map out someone's season. If you would do nothing more then just go find the most loaded position groups and just bet disproportionately on those teams. I think you'd be shocked at how profitable it would turn out for you, especially at the water cooler. Now, if you're facing off against odds makers in Vegas, that's one thing. But at the water cooler, yeah, yeah. So know all those names. Okay, I'm glad we're where we are right now. Clemson running back room underrated. You know, Dustin, I just happened to look over to live chat. Uh, you're right about that. Don't think they're better than Texas, but you're right about that. Um, we, we have a big problem. So, Colin, I'll tell you what. You know, I don't even know if what we're about to talk about here is going to end up on the YouTube channel. We'll, we'll just make a decision after the show. But this is going to be a different couple of minutes here than you are used to seeing or listening to on the show. We got a big problem in this country right now. 
And it's not inflation, and it's not divisiveness, and it's not the news media. It is fall weddings. It's not the first time I've had to speak about this. I had hoped it was gonna be the last time. But as you see on the screen, I was blindsided by treachery by someone I thought was a friend this week. Here's what the tweet says. I was ambushed in person with a fall wedding invitation complete with the, it's only one Saturday line. This happened yesterday. I'm not gonna out the person, but they have been given advanced warning that this is gonna be a topic on tonight's show. Um, I'm tired of it. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm tired of it. I put that out there and I got a lot of responses. We're gonna go through a lot of them in just a second, but it just, it's happened to so many of our brothers and sisters at Pate State, it finally hit me. Now I am in the fortuitous position where I'm one of the few people in this great country of ours that can reasonably look someone in the eyes and say, I can't come to your Saturday wedding. I got to work that day and smile as I say it because it's true. Uh, truthfully, that's part of the reason I got in this business. Yeah, I love college football and yeah, I love the atmospheres and, and yeah, I love the sport and blah, blah, blah. I just wanted an excuse to get out of Saturday weddings in the fall. So I've got that too. So it's, it's, it's a win-win, classic win-win-win. In that case, as Michael Scott would say, we all win. What are your problems? What is wrong with some of you? And here's the thing about it. If you noticed what I said there in the tweet, it's one thing to be ignorant. It's another thing to just, to just be malicious. It is malice the most, the pressure that I was under, to quote Corrine Brown, go Gata. It is malice the most, the pressure I was under when I was presented that. Now, I said no. I, I spiked it right back in their face. But if you're just ignorant and you don't know any better and you schedule your wedding for a Saturday in the fall, that's one thing. We all make mistakes in life. But when you actually have the gall and the audacity to say it's only one Saturday, that is premeditated. That's like the difference between me accidentally dropping a two by four on your head versus me drop kicking you off a cliff. If I drop kick you off the edge of a cliff, I know good and well what I'm doing. If you tell someone it's only one Saturday, that means you know good and well what you're doing. And you're just not a good person. I don't know what else to tell you. You're not a good person if you do that. Well, let me scratch that. If you get mad at people for rejecting the invitation, then I really question your character. You can, you can have whatever you want to. Just don't expect people to rearrange their lives for you. So I know it's always a shock when people take this stuff seriously. You know, after all, it's only one Saturday. Well, before we look at some of your responses, I want you to imagine something. It's only one Saturday after all. I want you to go back to October 9th last year. One Saturday, by the way. And I want you to imagine, because I know someone somewhere out there was in this predicament. Imagine driving to a wedding around noon as Oklahoma is furiously storming back on Texas at the Cotton Bowl and you've got a field being stormed. You don't see it, mind you, because you're driving to some bootleg wedding. And then the wedding starts probably about three or four o'clock. Penn State versus Iowa State or Iowa. Iowa upset win. Iowa storms the field. You don't see it because you're at a wedding. It's reception time. Just about the time A&M's taking down Alabama as about a three touchdown underdog. Third field storming of the day, but you're at a wedding reception somewhere. It's only one Saturday. What could happen in one Saturday? History. That's what can happen in one Saturday. Statistically, your marriage may be history in a couple of years. But I have only one time, maybe in a generation, that I could experience a Saturday like that. So yeah, it's only one Saturday. Uh, it's everything. We get about 12 of them a year. It's everything to us. Fortunately, 
We have a sizable audience on the show. Uh, Pate State, far and wide. I just told you, we had a, a viewer in Serbia earlier tonight. So I took it to you, and you came through. I wasn't necessarily looking for replies. I just wanted to vent. But you gave them to me. I don't want to waste these. So I'm just going to read some of them to you. Reply number one. Don't make me choose between football and your wedding. You won't like the results. Paid state material. Completely agree. A reply number two. Anyone selfish enough to get married on a fall Saturday isn't ready for marriage. I'm saying I couldn't have put it any better. So Joe did. Third response. These people, there are people rather in the world who will do evil things like this, but Tennessee baseball gets called classless. Look, you're rounding first. You throw up the middle finger. Maybe you drop some trash on the field every now and then. That is child's play compared to scheduling a wedding on a fall Saturday. Completely agree. Again, could not have said it better myself. Uh, what about this? Austin, with a sage quote here, a wise person once told me at a tailgate, 50% of marriages end in divorce and the rest of them get married in the spring. Shakespeare himself could not have put it any better. I doubt he dealt with this too. Nick said, tell them that statistics show this will only be their first marriage, so you're going to game that will only be played once. And you know what? That's not just a joke. He's right. I only get one shot to see these games. They don't run replays in the sport. Everything that happens on a Saturday is happening once and never again. And Nick's just, he's just citing statistics. The divorce rate in this country, right at 50%. So odds are you're going to have more weddings than I'm going to have opportunities to watch this game. Tracy, though, tuned in and chimed in. She said, as a wedding planner and a football fan, people make this mistake all too often. Even if they know their team's schedule and they're on a bye, if there's a big game that day or even a close game, they're going to lose their guests to the nearest TV. This probably was the most important reply because we got someone in the belly of the beast, someone that actually lives inside uh, the, in some cases, fraudulent wedding complex in our country. Tracy said, I'm a wedding planner, and even I'm smart enough to know you people shouldn't be scheduling these things on Saturdays in the fall. And also, let me touch on something Tracy said there. Some of you think you find a loophole. You know what? Since we were transitioning, and I'll probably want to use this as a clip. Some of you think you find a loophole when you schedule your wedding on the week where your team has a bye. This is a great illusion. The great myth in college football is that bye weeks exist. There is no bye week, guys, unless 100% of your invitation list roots for the same team. Not everyone in that crowd has a team they root for that is on a bye week. So is it selfish? In a word, yes. We continue with the replies. I'm just glad she pointed that out. Wright said, quote, it's only one Saturday, unquote. Coming from a guy who doesn't realize how often he's going to hear it's only one Saturday for the rest of his life after agreeing to a fall wedding. This is another very, very sage point. What kind of slippery slope, as a man, are you setting yourself up on if you agree to the philosophy that, oh, it's only one Saturday? You know, that's, that's kind of like back in the day when I used to argue that I only did one thing wrong, and my dad would come back and said, if I baked an entire pot of brownies here, a pan of brownies, and I said, there's, there's just a little bit, just a pinch, of dog droppings in there. Are you gonna eat the brownies? I knew what the answer was. It was a, it's a very good point. And this is a very good point by Wright. We continue. 
I had my wedding in the fall on a Friday. I'm going to stop and I'm going to repeat that sentence because I want everyone to pay attention because this is the way it should be. Forget about how it is. This is the way it should be. I had my wedding in the fall on a Friday. Then we had a huge party the day after to watch Ohio State Penn State. Plan a wedding to include the game. Win-win. I think this probably should hang somewhere in our studio. No one, myself included, is anti-marriage. Quite the opposite. We fully support the institution of marriage. And no one's against fall weddings, period. Friday wedding. Do you tell me, I want you to honestly look me in the eye and tell me this doesn't sound like a better plan than a Saturday wedding. And if you're worried that people can't get off work, let me spoil the ending for you. I can assure you about 90% of the people that you're inviting would much rather burn one of their vacation days and get your wedding out of the way on Friday instead of having to waste a Saturday of theirs that would be dedicated to things they actually love, but instead they have to spend it in a chapel or, or in 95 degree heat somewhere. No, Friday weddings. Normalize Friday weddings in the fall. Or for that matter, I think we also had another comment about the other option. Quite frankly, any option is better than Saturday. But we had a, th this is why I had my fall wedding on a Sunday morning, says another person here. My wife and I watched our game the night before, and we watch football every year on our anniversary. Notice, these people are talking about anniversary. They're still together. I read somewhere that 100% of weddings that happen on Saturdays in the fall end in divorce. And I, I did 15 seconds of research and couldn't find anything to um, argue against that. So I'm just going to assume that's true. Uh, how about Kay Charles here? My wife wanted a fall wedding. I said that would be fine, but she had to be okay with the fact everyone would be watching the Georgia game at the reception. We got married in June. Just be upfront. Just be reasonable. You know what warmed my heart? As I was scrolling through these replies, there were so many of the females in our audience that were arguing fervently in our favor. So don't think for a second that this is just like a battle of the sexes sort of deal. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not the case at all. Uh, there, are, there are plenty in our female audience, full-on paid state material, including Tracy, a wedding planner, who said, no, 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 don't do it. Just don't do it. But if you need help, if you still need some assistance here, that's okay. I assume you come to this show for many things, including us helping plan your wedding. So producer Jesse took it upon himself to provide a helpful graphic here. Which way do I need to point? That way, right? Yeah, that way. Okay. If you're wondering when it's okay to get married, here is our full wedding planner tip guide. It's, it's Saturdays to say I do and Saturdays to leave alone. As you can see, January is okay. February is good. March, yep. April, May, June, July, August. Think of how much real estate you have here to get married. You see these red section down here? September, October, November, December. Just say no to those months. Those months right there, those are ours. These are yours. Plan your lives accordingly. Read the bottom. Be a good person. Don't do it. That's our show. I'm glad I have one, or else I would have had that bottled up in me for the rest of the week. Um, anyway, spoiler alert, to wrap all that up, I will be on the road on the Saturday this fall when said couple is getting married, you know, because of work. Thank you so much. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast or on YouTube. Thank you to producer Jesse, especially for that helpful graphic, director Colin, and our entire crew here. I'm Josh Payne. Have a great start to your week. Take care and God bless.